Thursday, June 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hale. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Dave Meyer, and from Fool.com, Isaac Pino and Matt Koppenhofer. Full house today. Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. All indoors, bracing for the storm. Exactly. We, we are going to talk about the business of weather, the business of music, and the business of being a CEO. But let's start, let's start with the weather because um, uh, we're taping a little bit earlier today, and part of that has to do with the fact that there is a severe weather warning uh, for Alexandria and, frankly, for much of the eastern half of the United States. With, uh, Into central. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, with all of the storms and... Uh, for those for those four or five of you who watch Investor Beat, our, our daily video <laughs> show, it's we're not doing it today, so we can we can get out of the office early so people can get home. Uh, but it did get us uh, talking this morning about the 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 business implications of weather, and uh, I was saying to you, Isaac, uh, I have to believe that on balance that home improvement companies are beneficiaries from weather becoming more extreme, whether it's more extreme heat, whether it's torrential downpours, derecho, is that the word? Is that, that's is the it, word. Derecho. And we're sure that's a real term that wasn't just made up by someone at the Weather Channel to have fun with They're us. having a great time listening to They probably right are. Um, the East Coast version of El Nino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, wouldn't you think that Home Depot, Lowe's, Sherwin-Williams, they are, whether they want to or not, they are probably going to benefit in a long-term trend of more extreme weather. Yeah, and I, I would say the key words there are long-term trend. Um, it, they might not be salivating over the short term, because, especially their supply chain managers, um, dealing with responding to uh, catastrophic, catastrophic events and, and being in the right place at the right time. It's almost like disaster management is what your company's become. And um, so short term uh, and anyone involved in logistics, very challenging, but long term, you have to imagine that uh, you know the market for some of their core products is going to keep growing for home repairs at the same time that the housing market's picking up. So it's kind of a double whammy. There could also be uh, maybe some product innovation as well that they could benefit from. People trying to say, "Hey, get out ahead of the next big weather." Here's here are things that you can do to your house. Matt, on the flip side, insurance companies maybe <laughs> maybe not so much. Maybe here's here's one interesting thing. You won't hear too many insurance executives saying, you know what, we're not so sure about this climate change thing. Almost every insurance executive is out there right now saying, weather patterns are changing, there's going to be more severe weather, uh, and, and this gives them... And you need coverage. You need coverage, and by the way, it's going to cost you just a little bit more. <laughs> oh, come so, now. <laughs> so the, the insurance companies are doing what, what they can to, uh, to, uh, to cover themselves, uh, so to say. Um, it, it's, it's not, I mean, obviously losses from catastrophic storms, not a great thing for the insurance industry, but to the extent that they're raising premiums, that they're getting more coverage from people who are concerned about extreme events, and plus, you know, remember that a lot of most of the flood insurance is government. Uh, and so that's not even the, the kind of thing that insurance that the privately held insurance companies are covering. All right. Well, assuming we you know make it through this storm, I'm pretty sure a, a trip to Home Depot is, is in order for me this weekend. Uh, let's move over to music. Pandora is the biggest online radio service. Um, they also pay the most in fees to groups like ASCAP, uh, the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. And yes, I did have to look up what that acronym stood for. Um, but uh, for all the talk, Dave, recently of Pandora being in the news because of Apple launching its uh, iRadio, uh, Pandora's in the news uh, today because they have gone out and essentially tried to determine their own fate in the fee structures yep. by buying... 
a small radio station in Box Elder, South Dakota. Which is the first place you'd look. <laughs> exactly. KXMZ-FM 102.7. Um, I think it's a, an AC station. Um, I believe that's adult contemporary. Adult contemporary, <laughs> yes. Serving, I, I, I thought about looking that up. <laughs> um, serving the Rapid City market. Um, is this going to work? Because what they're essentially saying is, hey, We've tried to negotiate with ASCAP and others. We've tried to negotiate lower fees. That hasn't worked. And so, so now, you know what? We're going to buy a radio station and essentially reclassify ourselves yes. as a radio station business. And therefore, we will pay the lower rates that radio stations and, for example, Clear Channel with their iHeartRadio, that they're going to uh, pay. Is it going to work? We'll find out. Um, it's certainly a good negotiating tactic. I mean, I can't... I don't remember seeing if there were any terms disclosed for for the radio station, but I can't imagine they're paying a whole heck of a lot for it. But if it does work, it carries a considerable benefit for the company. Um, you know, right now, their costs are you know they're just they're they're completely variable. They every what every song that gets played has a cost associated with it, and that, those costs are rising over time. So if they can do something to get that cost structure more under control as well as more in line with their competitors, shareholders stand to benefit huge from that. For all the talk of Apple's iRadio being the Pandora killer, is it is it really the fees? Because it seems like just from the standpoint of their day-to-day business, the fact that they're paying more in fees than anybody else, that seems like... Uh, there are many reasons I'm not a shareholder of Pandora, but first and <laughs> foremost is that one. Um so as far as fees uh, for Apple, I think Apple's even paying higher fees. But uh, Apple has uh, a, a gigantic bag of cash. Yeah. <laughs> which, which, which helps it, it, build <laughs> South Dakota, actually. <laughs> but, I mean, in no, Pandora's no. case, that, it seems like fees, that's the real Pandora yeah, killer. That Fees are the real Pandora killer. Um, you know, if, if they can't get their cost structure completely under control and if ad prices don't continue to firm at the rate that they have been, especially as they're going to mobile, then the business is going to over the long term, is going to have difficulty um, um, generating cash flows to be sustainable. Um, interestingly, on the Apple front, you know, the 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 thing that struck me the most was the when I look at pictures of this iTunes radio, uh, the the bright red box on the titanium white background of the uh, the new operating system that flashes a dollar twenty nine. This is, I mean, basically. I don't think it's really this is uh, iTunes radio is not the uh the the Pandora killer. The iTunes Apple wants that to sell songs. That's what they want that for. So it's basically because people who have been bullish on Pandora have talked about among other things the whole discovery aspect. If you have Pandora, you mm-hmm. can discover new music and uh, you know people I know who are subscribers they really enjoy that. It seemed like Apple was maybe going in that direction. But maybe it's just much more. No, no, no. We're going to help you discover music so that you can click the dollar twenty nine button and buy it. Right. We were talking a little bit about this uh, uh, before we got on the air, and I, I think there is actually a switching cost associated with the playlists and the, the stations that you've created on Pandora. So, you know, if if Isaac and Matt, if we all have Pink Floyd as a station, it the tune the po- songs that'll come up as a result um, in our in our playlists will be affected by the things that we like and don't like along the way. 
So I don't think Matt's is, actually ever heard of Pink is, Floyd. Is it so. weird for Katy Perry to come up in a Pink Floyd <laughs> station? He must be clicking different thumbs. <laughs> I would love to see what, how, what you had to click to get there. That's for sure. There, you know, there, there are stranger mashups that have been created than, than, than Katy Perry and Pink Floyd. Um, where do you think Pandora is maybe two, three years from now? Is this... Is this still a standalone company? Uh, and uh, obviously, this is this is the latest variable. This mm-hmm. this play, and as you said, Dave, it's a if nothing else, it is a smart negotiating move. Yes, to throw down at the feet of ASCAP. I, and I, I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea if this will work, <laughs> but it does seem like if nothing else, it buys them a little bit more time. Or are they? really up against it in terms of how much cash they have and and two three years from now they get bought out or taken private that's a great question i don't actually i would based on what i know and have learned about management i don't think they would want to sell i see this as a i see it as a real passion for the uh, uh for the this management team they really love this and i do, i wouldn't see it as a sell as I, I wouldn't see them selling out, I guess. Yeah, I would say, personally, my opinion is I'd, lo- I'd love to see Pandora around in a few years as a standalone company. Um, you know, we were talking about one of our colleagues here, Max Keeler, huge fan of Pandora. He talks about the passion that the CEO has for the company, for the product, for the music. And what that does is it resonates with the consumers, with the users of the product. And so, you know, you see these companies that have a great product and a great service, and you don't really expect it to fail because the government's holding it back. So you look at Uber or you look at Airbnb and some of these companies where they have rabid followings, you can use are those that actual companies. So that you know, the, the taxi cab industry is fighting against Uber. Uh, you know, the hotel industry is fighting against Airbnb, and that fan base of that product because it provides a better service at the end of the day is rallying behind it. And I think that'll happen with Pandora. I think its users really like the brand. They really like the service. And you know, over time, although we're still talking about this ten years after its yeah. origination, uh, it'll, it'll lean towards Pandora. Being accepted. I'm always, maybe I shouldn't be, but I'm always a little bit surprised when sort of these entrenched interests um, stay entrenched, dig in their heels, and don't realize, particularly over the last 15 years or so, when there have been so many examples of innovations completely disrupting individual industries that there's no one in the room, and maybe they are in the room and they're just getting shouted down, then, but that there's no one in the room saying, no, 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 no. This thing is real. We need to get behind this. We need to get our own version of Uber or whatever. Wasn't um, there a book about that? <laughs> very well made. Maybe some Harvard business professor at the time. If, if, if one little comment on that. I, I you know, it, um, I learned a little bit about this, and there's a there's an analogy called the creosote bush. The creosote bush lives in the desert and basically. Um, kills everything around it by soaking up all the resources. Desert, a harsh place to live, right? right? And so what the the analogy is in inside a boardroom when you're trying to figure out where capital needs to go, capital being scarce, right, in a harsh environment, yep. needs to, that the things that people are comfortable with and they and and are confident will generate a return, get the resources. And those aren't the disruptive long-term options. And that's why you need these companies like Pandora, Uber, Airbnb. You know, think of all the disruptive technologies. They need to be outside of a big company. Let's wrap up with uh, Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer, um, who, uh, if you would like to have lunch with her, <laughs> you can uh, for the next two weeks on CharityBuzz.com. Lunch with Marissa Mayer is up for auction. Uh, right now, the bidding stands at seventy-seven thousand five hundred dollars. 
So um, man, you, somebody beat my seventy-seven thousand dollar bid. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, my friend. Uh, the money is going to uh, benefit a charter school in Palo Alto. Uh, but Matt, uh, what you pointed out to me was that. Uh, not all of the money is uh, going to the charter a, a, school. A lot of that money is going to benefit the the website <laughs> that, that runs these auctions. It gets a, uh, as far as I read, a twenty twenty percent rip on the uh, on the auction bidding. That's a massive. Is, I mean, for a charitable. It, again, we're not talking about eBay and sort of a, a, a capitalist enterprise where there's a marketplace and we're going to take a cut. Or we're not talking about a publisher. This is a charitable organization. That they would take a fee does not surprise me. That that fee is 20% mm-hmm. is astonishing. Did I mention today is my last day here? <laughs> <laughs> Just a, accepted a, 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 a attractive offer from Charity Bus. Sold um, out to a charity. <laughs> um, CEOs in general have been on my mind this week, and mainly because of what happened with Christine Day, the CEO at Lululemon, um, who resigned uh, as as part of their latest earnings announcement, uh, she uh, tendered her resignation, and on the surface, it appears to be very much her choice. Although there is, there are certainly rumblings that uh, pe- some people on the board of directors may have wanted her out, and so maybe um, she was, it, maybe it was suggested to her that she should resign, um, and perhaps taking the fall for the recent uh, snafu with the with the see through pants and that sort of thing. But it 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 just it just got me thinking about the range of leeway that is given CEOs. Um, that we focus on in our universe of stocks. And she's had an amazing run at Lululemon <laughs> in a very tough industry, selling high-end yoga wear. Uh, and, she created an industry. Uh, yeah, and, and you basically you know, ramping up sales uh, nine times uh, in five years. That's just an astonishing track record. I don't envy whoever has to follow her. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got you know our old friend Aubrey McClendon at uh, Chesapeake Energy, uh, <laughs> uh, and and uh, he hung in there forever. It seems like it just got me thinking about trust. The whole notion of trust, and it, it, with all the stocks you guys own and all the companies you cover, I am curious who is the CEO that you trust the most? Who is the one you give the most leeway to? Um, Matt, I'm, I'm going to take Warren Buffett off the table. <laughs> that, that's not an option. But let's just go down the line. And Dave, Did you I'll... know I'm wearing my Warren Buffett boxer shorts today? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm happy to say no. I have no idea. Um, Dave, I'll just start with you. Who's, who's the CEO that you would just grant leeway to and say, you know what? You make a couple of mistakes. That's okay. I trust you. So uh, a company that I've recently purchased and uh, and recommended in Rule Breakers is Tile Shop Holdings, and the CEO and founder, his name is Bob Rucker. He's started the business in 1985 with one store. What do they do? Uh, they, they're a tile retailer, tile retailing company, and they're okay. building out a national presence. Um, you know, what, from what again, from what I've um, read about him and and learned about him. He, this this guy just seems like a completely stand up guy, and the one thing that's that that really got me was when they had a they came public through a SPAC, a special purpose acquisition a company, a little different than an IPO, but anyway, what they did, what he did in the negotiation was carve out some shares for his employees who have been loyal to him while they were a private company, in order to distribute them you know them to him as reward as thank you for helping me build this you know now billion dollar business That's in terms right. of market cap 
But you look at all the things that he's done as far as culture, as far as the development, um, taking care of shareholders, taking care of suppliers. This is a guy, you know what, if he makes a mistake, you know, he gets a, he gets one at least one free pass for me. Matt, what about you? Because, again, we don't just look at companies that have a moat, uh, companies that have a sustainable advantage. There are people running these companies, and we place a, a premium on management. So I'm curious, uh, in the non-Buffett universe I have created. <laughs> <laughs> well, the... You know, the interesting thing to think about here is in terms of, of, of what we're talking about, what, what happened. So, you know, at Lululemon, I, I don't know exactly what happened. Right. You know, if, if there's something right. else and going I'm, on and I'm behind just the speculating. scenes um, that, you know, there was some underhanded dealings or something like that, that that's a completely different story. With Aubrey McClendon, it was a completely different story. There was a lot going on there that, to me, as an investor, said something about him in, in the way things were going to happen. If it's a mistake, on the other hand, that's a completely different situation in my mind. I, I think that in some cases there is an unreasonable expectation from investors that mistakes will not be made. That, right. That, that there's, this, there's this expectation of perfection. And frankly, if a CEO is running a company uh, in a way that no mistakes will, will be made, there probably won't be any big leaps forward either. The, you know, They're not going to go after the opportunities they need to go after. They're not going to take the risks that they need to take. Um, so with that said, um, Richard Davis over at U.S. Bancorp, U.S. Bancorp, you know, if, if you look at those two big to fail banks and then you go down to the next level, um, the, the next tier, U.S. Bancorp is considerably smaller, but the largest, uh, the largest of that next tier. Uh, Richard Davis has been a key force in building U.S. Bancorp to what it was. It's a tremendous business. You didn't hear a lot about it from the credit crisis because n- not a lot bad happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, very well run bank. He could go out make a bad acquisition, uh, go into a bad, uh, you, you know, go, go in a bad direction. And, and I would give him the leeway because he is, he has built that business and he has done a lot that's right. Isaac, what about you? Uh, so, so I look at this story in a similar way. You know, the, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what, what happened with Lou. I mean, we'll learn over time, but the, the fire the coach mentality in, in business, I just don't think that that, uh, really works. The, the company is going to continue because of what it already has in place. Um, I look at a comparison with Chipotle and Lululemon, um, both somewhat expensive stocks over the past few years, um, and uh, you know, kind of the bricks and mortar expansion. So there's not a lot of uh, ability to scale that business quickly. Lululemon obviously sells online as well, uh, but you have companies that are really closely tied with their founders. Uh, Chipotle uh, started the fast casual segment essentially under uh, the leadership of Stephen Ells as a CEO, and uh, there's a lot of parallels there. So you know, how do you put a value on a, a leader like Stephen Ells as he's kind of changed the entire fast food industry? And is that factored into the price uh, to earnings multiple? That's something we talk a lot about here at The Full. Um, I would see a similar reaction if something like that happened with Chipotle uh, because, you know, the things that he doesn't do are what resonates with uh, that company. And even if Shophouse was to strike out, you know that uh, Shophouse is their uh, Asian business. Yeah. You know that they would continue on with the, the economics of the business and the, the model in place. I was uh, talking yesterday with uh, Andy Cross um, and Jason Moser on the the full one uh, weekly podcast, and we talked a lot about Chipotle. And I'll just close by asking you guys what I asked them: uh, go to burrito when you when you go to Chipotle. What's your what, what's your go to? Uh, carnitas, bra- carnitas, pinto beans, brown rice, mild salsa, a little bit of cheese. Nice, Matt. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I, I, I used to live in, in Las Vegas, and in Las Vegas, there's this wonderful restaurant chain called uh, Cafe Rio, and they branched outside of Las Vegas at, at this point, or they're outside of Las Vegas. 
blows Chipotle well, And out once of you've them. had Cafe it, Rio, well, you can't go to Chipotle. Now like, that I've had, in and out people, now you know? that I've had Cafe Rio, cannot eat Chipotle. Wow. <laughs> can't do it. When Although you, it's Chop House. Uh, I'm a fan of Chop House. Okay. Um, I'm apparently one of the few. One of like six, <laughs> six people. Uh, the like. next time I get to Vegas, if I'm finding myself at a Cafe Rio, which I will attempt to do, what's what do you recommend at Cafe Rio? I am no longer a meat eater myself, but the pork will blow your mind. It'll change your life. <laughs> It'll change your life. It'll change yours. We need a, car- <laughs> we need a carnitas and Cafe Rio pork showdown. There we right go. Here. I think we do. And a trip to Vegas to do it. Uh, Isaac, what about you? I- I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, with the with the carnitas burrito as well. Bur- uh, maybe add in some guacamole, but everything else right in line with you on that. Um, some brown rice, uh, pinto beans as well. I don't know about you guys, but years ago when I learned that uh, avocados and therefore guacamole actually contained a lot of fat, I was dumb- <laughs> it's a good fat, Chris. I was dumbfounded by that. I was like, no, no, but it's but it's a it's a vegetable or a fruit or something. It's it's got to be healthy. And I was, it hasn't stopped me from eating guacamole, but it just, I, I, I was very disappointed. Nor should it. Nor should it. <laughs> All right, Isaac Pino, Matt Coppinger for Dave Meyer. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fuller. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Thank you.